bulletin. As usual, there is a, uh, a guide uh, for the time that we spend this morning together in God's Word, and also a guide that hopefully will help you after this morning. We don't want to be people that just come and, and hear a quick little uh, sermon uh, and then kind of put the Bible on the shelf for the week and are done with it. We do encourage you uh, to be in your, in your Bible. Uh, by the way, I did put over there, if you're thinking about this new year, like, I want to make a plan, because if I don't make a plan, it doesn't happen. I want to make a plan for being in the Bible this next year. Um, there's a number of different ways you can do it. If a lot of times your reading happens on your phone, there's apps that, that will allow you to kind of have plans delivered to you daily. If you like paper still, um, there are some paper plans over on that, uh, on that table there. Some just ta- reading the New Testament in one year, which would take you about five minutes a day, five days a week to do that. There's other, other ones to kind of go through the whole Bible, and so I encourage you to check that out uh, before you leave if that's something you're interested in. But we do want to be people. We, we believe that God speaks to us through his word. This is how God reveals who he is. This is how he teaches us how he works. And so uh, we spend a lot of time in the Bible when we're together on Sunday morning because we want to hear what God has to say. And we have been going through this series in the book of Habakkuk, uh, not a book that maybe many people have spent a lot of time in, but we have. this is the fourth of four weeks Well, we've been in this Old Testament book. Habakkuk is a what we call a minor prophet. That's not because he's not important. We call him minor because it's a short little book. And uh, it happened, uh, it was written about 600 years before Jesus came to earth. And so this is a, a book of Habakkuk, three chapters. We've gone over already the first two chapters. I've really enjoyed this time in Habakkuk. We've gotten to see this dialogue between this prophet Habakkuk, who is looking at the world around him. And he sees evil and injustice and sin that seems to be winning, and he's frustrated. And so he speaks to God about his frustration, saying, God, aren't you going to come and do something about this? And God's answer in a number of different ways has been, yes, I am. In fact, I am doing something right now because I am just, I'm always just, and sin will not go on unpunished. And so that's the message we've heard so far in the book of Habakkuk. You're like, hey, you just summarized it in like two minutes. Why did we need three sermons before this, right? But, uh, but that is the message that we've heard in these first two chapters. And now, today, we're going to get to the third chapter. And it's as though I'm kind of hearing Habakkuk saying, listen, okay, guys, I've said my piece, God. I've done my complaining. I've done my protesting. I still don't get exactly what it is you're doing But we're going to notice today in Habakkuk chapter 3 that this man's been changed. He doesn't totally get it. He doesn't maybe totally agree with what God is doing. But he's at a spot now where that's the kind of the fun about doing a shorter book like this. We see where this man is at at the beginning. Chapter 1 where he's accusing God of being inactive. Saying, God, you're not doing anything about this. What's wrong with you, God? And now we get to this spot in Habakkuk chapter 3 where his tune has changed a little bit. And that's what happens when we pray, doesn't it? That as we pray, as we seek to to align our will with God's will, stuff changes in us. And we've seen that, we're going to see that today happen in this man named Habakkuk. In this final chapter of Habakkuk, is very, very unique among all the prophets. It's unique because of this. If you go through the prophets, you're not going to find another chapter like this in any of the major or minor prophets. Because 
This is words inspired by the Holy Spirit for Habakkuk to write down, but they weren't just to be written down in Scripture. They were to be a song or a psalm to be prayed or sung by God's people when they gathered together. That's something very unique. There is no other, uh, the Psalms, the book of Psalms is filled with these things, but there is no other spot in the prophets where a prophet writes down a psalm or a song that is intended to be used when God's people gather together for worship. But that's what we have in Habakkuk chapter 3. It's a song that is written so that generations to come would know. How do you respond with faith in God in the midst of very troubling times? It's a great song. A song that they needed for that day. It's kind of like the it is well with my soul of that day, right? A song that, that, that we need to hear still today in our day. And so let's go ahead and look at this song. I'm not going to sing it. I'm going to read it because I don't know the tune. Uh, but this is Habakkuk chapter 3. And if you're able to, would you stand? Because this is God's word that we're reading. Habakkuk chapter 3 says this. A prayer of Habakkuk the prophet according to Shigionoth. O Lord, I have heard the report of you, and your work, O Lord, do I fear. In the midst of the years, revive it. In the midst of the years, make it known. In wrath, remember mercy. God came from Teman, and the Holy One from Mount Paran. His splendor covered the heavens, and the earth was full of His praise. His brightness was like the light. Rays flashed from His hand, and there He veiled His power. Before him went pestilence and plague followed at his heels. He stood and measured the earth. He looked and shook the nations. Then the eternal mountains were scattered and the everlasting hills sank low. His were the everlasting ways. I saw the tents of Kushan in affliction. The curtains of the land of Midian did tremble. Was your wrath against the rivers, O Lord? Was your wrath against the rivers or your indignation against the sea? When you rode on your horses and on your chariot of salvation? You stripped the sheath from your bow, calling for many arrows. You split the earth with rivers. The mountains saw you and writhed. The raging water swept on. The deep gave forth its voice. It lifted its hands on high. The sun and moon stood still in their place at the light of your arrows as they sped, at the flash of your glittering spear. You marched through the earth in fury. You threshed the nations in anger. You went out for the salvation of your people, for the salvation of your anointed. But you crushed the head of the house of the wicked, laying him bare from thigh to neck. You pierced with his own arrows the heads of his warriors, who came like a whirlwind to scatter me, rejoicing as if to devour the poor in secret. You trampled the sea with your horses, the surging of mighty waters. I fear, and my body trembles. My lips quiver at the sound. Rottenness enters into my bones. My legs tremble beneath me. Yet I will quietly wait for the day of trouble to come upon people who invade us. Though the fig tree should not blossom, nor fruit be on the vines, the produce of the olive fail, and the fields yield no food. The flock be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls, Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. God, the Lord, is my strength. He makes my feet like the deer's. He makes me tread on my high places. To the choir master with stringed instruments, you can be seated. 
God's Word is good, and I think uh, wherever we're at, it's going to be timely for us today as we look at Habakkuk chapter 3. It's a prayerful song is really what it is. You know it's a song because he tells them at the end, listen, you need to have stringed instruments playing with this. We see this little musical interlude note, Selah, that shows up a few times. It looks just like something out of the book of Psalms, but it's right here at the end of a prophet. All of this is really a prayer of response to what has already happened in the book of Habakkuk. Habakkuk has prayed, God has answered, and now he's responding with this song. And so it says right away in verse 2, O Lord, I've heard the report of you, and your work, O Lord, do I fear. Remember what's happened so far, that God has told Habakkuk, this is what I'm doing. And Habakkuk's response is, I, I get it a little bit, God. Your work, O Lord, I fear. I fear. There's a fear in Habakkuk. He fears because God can and God will do what he says he's going to do, and it's not going to be comfortable. But then he tags on a request. There's not only fear, there's a request here where he says this at the end of verse 2, In wrath, remember mercy. He's not saying, God, take away your wrath anymore. He recognizes that because of their sin, because of all the evil and injustice in the world, he wants God to do something about it. So he can't say, God, don't pour out your wrath. But he's saying, God, in your wrath, remember mercy. I I get it, that, that we deserve your punishment, God. We deserve your wrath. But God, please remember mercy in the midst of it. And then we kind of move on with the song. There's the introduction. We move on with the song. I'm not going to read each of these verses again. Um, I'm just going to highlight a couple things in a few of them because I want to focus on the end of the song. But verse 1 is really a reflection of God's character and work. We see that in verses 3 through 7. In the midst of all that God has had to say about his coming judgment in Habakkuk, Habakkuk recognizes that God has a plan not only to judge, but he's got a plan to save. And so we have this beautiful language, verse 3. I love the end of verse 3. It says this, His splendor covered the heavens, and the earth was full of his praise. His splendor covered the heavens, and the earth was full of his praise. And then verses 4 to 7 really talk about how God will bring judgment and bring light. talks about his great power, the great power and splendor and might of our God. Verse 6 says it, this way it says in verse 6 he stood and measured the earth he looked and shook the nations Habakkuk was realizing that God was going to put on display his great and mighty power this had happened before Habakkuk's day it would happen in Habakkuk's day and it would happen after Habakkuk's day but if we want to in our day see God's great power his splendor his majesty his glory most clearly You know where we look today? We look to Jesus, right? We see God's splendor and majesty and glory at the birth of Jesus when rang out the angels' chorus to hail Messiah's birth, right? We see God's glory in Jesus when he commands the winds and the waves to obey him. We see God's glory in Jesus when Jesus goes up the mountain with three of his disciples and is transfigured. The veil of his glory is lifted so they can see him for who he really is, the eternal Son of God. And we see God's glory in Jesus when he is put to death on a cross, but three days later he rises again from the dead. If we want to see 
God's awesome power and glory and splendor and majesty, the best place for us to look today is to Jesus. Habakkuk could only look ahead, but we can look back and ahead to Jesus. And we're seeing it again when he comes to return to reign and to rule in his kingdom. Now Habakkuk didn't totally understand everything God was about to do, but he knew of the splendor and majesty and might of God, and so he sang about it. That's one thing I love, uh, just, just kind of a, a little um, personal touch, I guess. One thing I love about singing together with God's people is that we are people with all sorts of different experiences. Some people that come on a Sunday morning ready to rejoice and sing praise. Some people wondering if they can make it another week. Some people dealing with grief and loss while others are dealing with just celebration. And so we all come in all sorts of different ways. And as the pastor, I get to hear a lot of different, uh, sometimes more than most people, about the pain and struggles that are going on in people's lives. The stuff going on in their families that most other people don't know about. The stuff going on with them medically that most other people don't know about. And I love the opportunities I have to sit and to counsel people in my office, to go and visit them in their homes, to pray with them on the phone or in person. But one thing I really love doing is I love singing together with God's people. I love doing that. I'm not very good at it, but I love doing it. I remember one time a few years back when we we didn't live here yet. We were in a, another church, and, and I remember singing this one song. And we were singing this song that I mean, wouldn't make my favorites list or anything like that, but it was an okay song. But, but something about singing it that day, as I was singing it, the words were on the screen, and I was looking this way. And in order to see the screen, I had to look through the outstretched, desperate arms of a, of a woman who had just been through an ugly divorce. And her arms were stretched up in desperation as her voice cried out these words, Faithfulness none can deny. Through the storm and through the fire, there is truth that sets me free. It's Jesus Christ who lives in me. And then the chorus went, You are stronger. You are stronger. Sin is broken and you have saved me. It is written, Christ is risen. Jesus, you are Lord of all. And as I sang that song, looking through her outstretched arms, there was something that was stirred in my own heart to recognize that I'm not in that spot right now. But if I were in a spot of that much hurt and that much pain, would I be also the one to just be stretching out my arms in desperation to the God who I know is stronger than anything else? There's something so good and so right about in our pain, in our joy, in our sorrow, in our confusion, in our doubt, getting together and just singing with God's people. Remembering of the great might and power of our God who is mighty to save and mighty to judge. So Habakkuk, that's where he's at here. He's not in a place of complete understanding, but he's crying out this song of God's splendor, his majesty, his might, his power. It's a good place to be. And then in verses 8 to 15, we get to what I'm calling the second verse. And that is Habakkuk singing about the results of God's work. When God comes to act, he comes both for judgment and for salvation. And when God shows up, his presence is felt. So he's using uh, kind of the terminology of a bunch of different elements of creation that are responding to God's presence. Mainly to say this, when God shows up, you're going to know about it. 
And so he says all sorts of different things. In verse 9, he says, you split the earth with rivers. In verse 10, the mountains saw you, God, and they writhed. Verse 11, the sun and the moon stood still in their place. And then he speaks of both judgment and salvation. Verse 13, go ahead and look at verse 13. It says, you went out for the salvation of your people, for the salvation of your anointed. You crushed the head of the house of the wicked, laying him bare from thigh to neck. God comes for both judgment and salvation. May we never cease to be amazed at the mighty power of God. If there's a danger in our culture today, I don't think it's a danger that we make too much of God's power and might. I think the danger is the opposite, that that we make much too little of God's great power and might. And so I want us to be the kind of people that, that see God for who he is, that we are in awe of his power and his might, that he can cause the sun and the moon to stand still in their place. He can stop the earth from orbiting if he wanted to do that. He can do whatever he wants to do. But many in our culture and even many in our churches don't see God in that way. They see God as like some cosmic genie who pops out anytime you need to you need something and maybe he can do it for you. They see him as a God who's a nice God who wants nice people to go to nice church buildings and listen to nice sermons and enjoy nice worship services with nice music so that they can turn into nice people who do nice things for other nice people so that he can give them really nice things and they can say, wow, isn't he a really nice God, right? That, that's, that's the vision that a lot of people have of God. Not, not a vision of a God who is full of might and glory and splendor and majesty, a God who is worthy to be worshipped. We fail to see God who is mighty to judge and mighty to save. We see him revealed here in Habakkuk chapter 3 in this song. See him all throughout the rest of scripture as well. May our awe of who God is and what he does only grow more each day. And then we get to the chorus. I love the chorus. You, you ever have a song like that where, where you're singing and you kind of know the words to the verses? And, and uh, you, I love that in like little kids' children's Christmas programs, you know? Like they're, they, they're supposed to do the verses and they're kind of like sort of doing the verses and then they get to the, the chorus and all of a sudden they're just busting out because I know these words, right? And they're just yelling, not even singing anymore. I love that. And I love the chorus of this song that Habakkuk writes here in Habakkuk chapter 3. Verses 16 to 19 are powerful. Songs that need to be sung over and over and would be sung over and over by God's people. When we begin to see God for who he really is, that changes our response to him. And that's what we see in verses 16 to 19. Let's look at verse 16 first. Verse 16, the first part of it says this. I hear and my body trembles. My lips quiver at the sound. And rottenness enters into my bones and my legs tremble beneath me. Do you get a picture of the kind of fear that Habakkuk has? There is, as he stands in the presence of God Almighty, a a holy reverence and awe and fear. His legs are trembling. His lips are quivering because he's starting to see a bit more of who God is. As he's gone through this really hard time of questioning and doubt and grief, God has confirmed him, this is who I am. And his first response is fear. A proper holy reverence before God. I was struggling a while back. 
trying to understand what it means to fear God. In what way should I as a Christian fear God? I was trying to figure that out, and so I have a, a friend who knows the Bible really well. You should all have a friend who knows the Bible really well, that when you have questions, you can just ask them and get really wise answers like that that my friend gave me. I was asking him about what does it mean to fear God? How do I do that as a Christian? And here's my, by the way, you think like people that know Scripture well have to be pastors. There's some pastors that don't know Scripture well, and there's a lot of people that aren't pastors that know Scripture really well. This, this, this friend of mine is not a pastor, um, but listen, I mean, he's like, man, we should have this guy come and preach. A piece of stuff like this. Here's what he said. When I said in an email to him, it's like, Josh, I'm struggling understanding the fear of God. What is that supposed to look like? And he says this. Fearing God flows out of an understanding, however limited and incomplete, of his holiness and our sinfulness. Even as his children who have been redeemed by Christ, we can still see his holiness and tremble at the thought of our sinfulness and rebellion towards our Creator and Redeemer. And because of Christ, we don't have to stay in a place of trembling. We are enabled to approach the throne of grace with confidence. Yes, we were by nature objects of wrath. We were enemies of God, sexually immoral, idolaters, adulterers, etc. But we were washed, sanctified, and justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ by the Spirit of our God, that's 1 Corinthians 6. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God, he says. This is good. That was helpful for me to think about that. So we need to respond to God in a way with with a holy fear and reverence. But then at the end of verse 16, he says this, Yet I will quietly wait for the day of trouble to come upon the people who invade us. Okay, so he's recognizing that justice doesn't look like it's happening right now, but God is going to bring about justice. And so Habakkuk's not going to take justice into his own hands and make things happen. He's going to wait for God to do the work that God says that God will do. God will judge in his time. And then uh, some verses that ought to be on way more Christian art. You know that sometimes cheesy Christian art that, that we, we put on mugs and we put up in home? Like all sorts of Habakkuk 3, 17 to 19 doesn't show up nearly enough. We need to get that on more stuff. So if you make Christian art, one, don't make cheesy stuff, and two, put Bible verses on it and use Habakkuk 3, okay? Because uh, this is good. Habakkuk chapter 3, verse 17, we see Habakkuk respond with great faith. Listen to what he says. Uh, I think, uh, hopefully, bef- before, before I read that, I think one thing that starts to happen, as our sense of awe of who God is grows, so will our sense of trust in him. That's what we've seen happen in Habakkuk. As he's understood more and more of who God is and how powerful and merciful and just he is, he can trust him more. If you're struggling to trust God, I think one thing you need to do is you need to get to know God more. Because as he got to know God more, he now starts to trust God more. And so we can hear him say things like this. After all he's been through, after all that he's heard, he gets to verse 17 where it says this. Though the fig tree should not blossom, nor fruit be on the vine. The produce of the olive fail, and the fields yield no food. The flock be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls. You get it? It's bad. It's bad, and he knows it's going to get worse. Okay? But when a farmer who doesn't have crop insurance, because they didn't have that, I don't think, back in this day, gets to a point where there is there is no crop. It's not just a bad crop. There's no crop. 
There are no herds in the stalls anymore. Okay? This is this is bad. And I know this year for farmers, especially if you harvested corn, your crop probably wasn't as good as it was last year, and the prices were a lot worse than they were last year. That doesn't cause farmers to go out in their fields dancing and rejoicing. Right? I, I didn't see that. I was driving outside of town and I never saw a farmer dancing in his field rejoicing, saying, God, thank you for a, a smaller yield and a lower price on corn this year. I'm so thankful for that, God. Right, but, but he's at a point where he's saying, listen, there's not even any crop. The, 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 the produce of the olive fails. There's no fruit on the vines. The fig tree's not blossoming even. It's a bad situation. But then he gets to verse 18. Verse 18 says this. Yet, yet, yet I will, yet I will, what's he going to do? Yet I will rejoice in what? In the Lord. I will, I will take joy in the God of my salvation. He, he's making this commitment. He's, he's looking at everything that doesn't make sense, everything that seems chaotic and unjust all around him. And he is saying, yet I will. I will rejoice. I will rejoice in the Lord, yet I will rejoice in the Lord, and I will take joy in the God of my salvation. He's not rejoicing in the bad yields and the lost livestock, but he is rejoicing in the one who owns the cattle on a thousand hills. He is rejoicing in the one who made the sun and the earth and everything in it and causes everything to grow. We rejoice in the Lord. We take joy in the God of our salvation, even in the midst of times that don't make a lot of sense. And then verse 19, verse 19 says this, God, the Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the deer's. He makes me tread on my high places. Okay, he's saying, listen, your strength is not going to come from yourself. God, the Lord, is our strength. That's the only hope that we have. Despite all of this adversity and struggle, the judgment that's about to come, he says, I can stand firm because God has made my feet firm like the deer on high places. I'm going to be okay. I can stand in a place of victory because of what my God has accomplished for me in Christ. And then I love, I mean, it kind of seems anticlimactic, doesn't it? The way the, 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 way the, the whole book ends. To the choir master with stringed instruments. But, but I'm just hearing Habakkuk say, listen, I just wrote me a good song. You better have like a good band backing me up on this one, right? It, let, let, let's bust everything out, stringed instruments, Let's play this. It's a Christmas concert, right? I mean, some, something big, something, something fabulous, right? Because this song that I just wrote, it's about a God, a God who shows up and a God who acts, a God who even though stuff looks like it doesn't make sense to us, a God who understands a lot better than we do and a God who says, I am doing something in your day. I am just and sin will not go unpunished. I'm a God who's merciful and I'm a God who can be trusted and that's where Habakkuk ends. God, I don't get it all. I don't understand. I don't see you doing what I thought you ought to be doing. But in the end, God, I'm going to trust you. I will not even just trust you. I will rejoice in you, my Lord. I will, I will take joy in you because you are the God of my salvation. So I want to just quickly apply this to Christmas because that's what's happening this week. Christmas is just around the corner. It's a great time to rejoice. It's a time when a lot of people sing. 
Even people that don't sing much the rest of the year, a lot of people want to sing around Christmas. But it's also true that it's also a hard time for some people to rejoice. It's also a really hard time, maybe even the hardest time of year, for some people to sing. While others are busy decking the halls with boughs of holly, singing fa-la-la-la-la-la-la-la-la, you're not feeling it, right? While other people are dashing through the snow in a one-horse open sleigh, or the fields, they're laughing all the way, but you're not doing a whole lot of laughing, right? You hear the song, Christmas, this season, it's the most wonderful time of the year, right? It's the hap- happiest season of all. You're like, oh, I'm not feeling it. Might be for you, but not for me. Doesn't seem like it to me. It's actually, it's really hard. If that's the spot that you're in, then you can relate to Habakkuk. I'm so glad that we have books like this in the Bible. Somebody coming before God saying, God, I don't get it. They're complaining. They're protesting. They're sickened by the sin and injustice and evil all around them. They're, they're maybe smiling, but it's probably fake. Right? God feels eerily absent or inactive, and the bad guys seem to be winning. So what do we learn from this book of Habakkuk? Two things from this book. One, I think we need to learn that we've got to tell God about it. Don't, don't come before God with your fake smile. He sees right through it anyway. Come be, if you're looking at the world, you're looking at your situation, you're looking at your family, and you're, you're seeing sin and evil and injustice, and, and you feel like it's all falling apart, don't try to come to God and pretend like you have it all together. Come before Him with, with prayers of complaint and protest and, and longing and mourning. Be honest with God who knows and sees your heart anyway. We see that in Habakkuk. He's very honest with God. God, why do you idly look at wrong, he asks him. You going to do something about this, God? You need to tell God about it. Tell him that you don't get it. Tell him you wish he would do something. But we also need to learn one other lesson from Habakkuk. And that is this. That all of this ends with a song. That in the midst of the judgment that is about to come, in the midst of the injustice and sin and evil that seems to be winning all around him, that there's no promise that in his lifetime it's going to get better. But in it, at the end of it, he gets to chapter 3 and he's singing. If you're going through a tough time, try singing through it. Try singing through that tough time with a heavy heart and tear-filled eyes and arms stretched up to heaven, desperately saying, God, I don't know how I'm going to get through this if it's not you that comes to do something. Though the fig tree should not blossom, nor fruit be on the vine, the produce of the olive fail, and the fields yield no food. The flock be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation, because God the Lord is my strength. So this Christmas, Would we be the people that rejoice in the midst of suffering and injustice because we who have repented of our sins and trusted in Christ, we know this. Here's what causes us to rejoice. This is what we rejoice in. 1 Thessalonians 5, 9, and 10 says this, For God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us so that whether we are awake or asleep, We might live with him. Because Christ has come and he will come again, we have reason to rejoice today, whatever it is that we're going through.
Father, I do pray that that all of us, whether we come with light hearts, ready to just sing your praise, or whether we come today with heavy hearts, with eyes that are holding back tears. We don't hold them back maybe when we're at home, or maybe we even try to hold them back there. But God, I pray that you would put us in a place this morning where we would recognize your power, your might, your awe, the fact that that you will come again. And when you come again, you will wipe away every tear from our eye. There will be no no more mourning or crying or pain anymore. God, what a hope that we have. For those of us who have repented of our sin and trusted in Jesus, that we have the hope that we are no longer under wrath, but we have obtained salvation through Jesus Christ our Lord. So we have reason to rejoice. Whatever the situation around us looks like, we have reason to rejoice. And so so I pray that you would help us even in the closing moments of this service to rejoice. And God, I pray for those who might be here who really don't have a reason to rejoice because they have not put their hope and trust in Jesus. That they know about Jesus, that they know all about what Christmas is about, but they don't really trust Jesus. They haven't turned from their sins to trust in Him. God, I pray that you would be at work in their hearts, that your Holy Spirit would bring about a conviction of their sin, a recognition that they are rightly deserving of your wrath, but that through what Jesus has done, you can save them as they put their trust in Him. God, we have so many reasons to rejoice, whatever their situation right now. So God, I pray that as we sing this closing song, that, that the words that come out of our lips would echo the, the, the feelings in our hearts. That whatever is going on, right now, this season, we have reason to rejoice. More than one reason. And we especially rejoice in you. You are God. You are our Savior. In Jesus' name, amen.